Welcome back to Nonstop Politics. I'm your host, Marsh Leslie, and in this episode, we're going to check back in with the US presidential race. Coming up in today's 2020 update, has the long-running alliance between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders finally come to an end? New developments seem to pour cold water on their friendship as tensions rise between their campaigns. Plus, I'll discuss new polling out of Iowa as we head into the final stretch before that contest. But first, a quick note on impeachment and where we're up to right now. Of course, just before Christmas, we had President Trump becoming only the third president in US history to be impeached by the House of Representatives on two charges. First, abuse of power, and second, obstruction of Congress. Now, this all stems from the fact that the president back in the summer asked the Ukrainian government to announce an investigation into Joe Biden and his son Hunter over allegations of corruption centering around a Ukrainian oil and gas company called Burisma. And this is problematic because what Trump is accused of doing is illegally coercing the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, into withholding $400 million worth of military aid that was congressionally approved, holding that aid in what's known as a quid pro quo. So I only give you this aid if you announce an investigation into the Bidens. Now, obviously, this was done to smear Joe Biden and his son to create a very, very negative narrative about him heading into the 2020 presidential race. Now, I'm not going to go into the weeds of the topic too much because it's been discussed ad nauseum in the press. We had an impeachment inquiry. We had witnesses telling their side of the story. The House voted on the 18th of December. He was impeached. And over Christmas, Nancy Pelosi held articles of impeachment. She didn't send them to the Senate immediately. Some new information came out. But finally, Nancy Pelosi has handed the articles of impeachment over to the Senate. She's named the managers that will be prosecuting the case against Trump in the Senate. That includes people like Adam Schiff, the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, and Jerry Nadler, the House Judiciary Committee chair. And just in the last 48 hours, the Trump side has named their legal team for the trial, which will include people like Ken Starr, who was involved in the 1999 trial of Bill Clinton, and lawyer Alan Dershowitz, which will be sure to add some reality TV-style drama to the proceedings as well. Now, we have some Republicans who are keen to see witnesses testify. This has been a point of division amongst Republicans, whether or not they want witnesses who maybe didn't get to testify in the House impeachment inquiry to come forward and give their point of view in the Senate trial. Some Republicans might be wavering, people like Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Lamar Alexander. Do they vote to have witnesses at the trial or do they just want to avoid that and get on with it. So we have people like Susan Collins, who are very vulnerable. She's up for re-election this year in the state of Maine, and her decision will be crucial in determining whether or not she gets another term or not. People like Lamar Alexander is retiring, so you have more incentive for people like him to want to see witnesses, because there won't really be any repercussions for him if he votes to do so. But as always, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he's keeping a firm hand on the proceedings. He is working in concert with the White House, but we'll have to keep an eye out on that one to see how that pans out. But definitely, this is history-making stuff that's going on. Only the third president to be impeached, and the trial begins proper this Tuesday. Back to the presidential race, and oh my gosh, tensions have been flaring for the last couple of weeks, especially between the campaigns of Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Bernie Sanders. It started a couple of weeks ago 
with claims that the Sanders campaign had been trying to trash the Warren campaign, with the New York Times reporting that Sanders had used a script which was given out to his volunteers, arguing that Warren was only really appealing to educated voters and that she wouldn't be able to expand the Democratic Party coalition. Now, this obviously led to Warren hitting back immediately, implying that it's that kind of divisiveness between himself and Hillary Clinton four years ago that cost them big time. And she's worried about the same thing happening in 2020. And this is very interesting because, of course, you have these sort of groups dubbed the Bernie Bros that are very, very stubborn and quite difficult to change their minds on issues and won't really back down unless they get their way. And this is something that was a problem four years ago because it led to Hillary Clinton being absolutely tarnished by the Bernie Sanders campaign. And then you couple that with the Trump assault on her and it was just a very, very toxic mix which ended up costing Hillary Clinton very badly in the Electoral College last time. Now, of course, the thing about Warren and Sanders is that they've both been progressive firebrands for decades. And in this race, they've been each trying to be the voice of the progressive left of the party. Remember, four years ago, this was Bernie's lane. It was only Bernie's uh, lane. But now it's much more crowded. He seems now to be wanting to paint Warren as somehow being the establishment candidate, which obviously wouldn't really appeal to the left of the party. And up until this point, they were able to keep civil in this election. You know, you had in the early debates, they were both really, really trying to make sure that when they were discussing issues like healthcare, they didn't really tread on each other's toes. But now we are just weeks away from the Iowa caucus and you're beginning to see some strain in that friendship there. And all of this has come to a head in the debate that happened earlier this week in Iowa when Warren accused Sanders of claiming in a meeting that a woman could not be president. This happened just after the midterm elections in 2018. Now, I'm not going to say definitively whether or not I believe it's true. It's certainly a very unlike Bernie Sanders thing to say. But then again, we just don't know. Um, It's Warren's word against Sanders' word. Apparently, there were four other people that were uh, notified about what happened on the night of the meeting. But then again, we don't know exactly what was said. And it could have been that Bernie was just making a nuanced point about, well, in the age of Trump, maybe a woman might find it more difficult to win under certain circumstances. But it's unlikely that he would have just said point blank, a woman cannot be president. I'm pretty sure even if he did say that, it would have been a much more nuanced point than just point blank, woman can't win. But again, we don't know what was said. It's one word against another person's word. So we just can't say for sure. But this spilled over really onto the debate stage in Iowa when, right as the debate finished, there was a very, very tense exchange afterwards. The clip you're about to hear is the audio that CNN released just after the debate. It was broadcast live on television without the audio. You had Anderson Cooper speaking over it, but this is the audio that CNN released after our tense exchange between Sanders and Warren. Take a listen. A liar on national TV? What? I think you called me a liar on national TV. Let's not do it right now. You want to have that discussion? We'll have that discussion. You called me. You told me. All right, let's not do it now. Well, there you are. Very, very tense words between the two candidates there. But of course, the question I'm pretty sure you're asking is right now is, Dash, why is this happening now? Why all of a sudden, after 
many, many years of collegiality and friendship between them, why, after almost a year on the campaign trail of being civil, are they now getting at each other like this? Why are the knives coming out? Well, it's really because we're in the final stretch heading into Iowa now. I mean, this is where it is now crunch time for both candidates. Warren has been stagnating in the polls lately. Bernie has been seeing a resurgence in funding in the fourth quarter of last year. The Sanders campaign raised a whopping $35 million, which spanned more than 1.8 million individual donations, an average of $18.5. And that's the largest amount raised in a single quarter so far in the primary by just one candidate, which is incredible. And the Warren campaign took a bit of a dip to just $21.2 million, which was a drop of nearly $4 million from the previous quarter. And so, if you want to think about this very cynically, which in politics you have to do a lot, you could say that this is a move really to discredit Bernie Sanders and sort of recapture some momentum that she has lost out on. But is this fight really what the Democrats need to be doing right now? Is this the focus that they need to be putting on each other heading into the first contest? Well, of course it's not. I mean, while they're fighting each other at this point, the main focus, as has been noted a lot in the press, should be on the President of the United States, who they're trying to beat. He's undergoing a massive impeachment process and is already looking vulnerable in some swing states that will determine the result of the election. I think in Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin, he isn't doing particularly well there. So the last thing that they need to be focusing on right now is an intra-party debate over who said what about gender, because basically the Democrats agree on pretty much everything. They don't need to be arguing about things like this at this point. They need to be focusing on the ultimate end goal instead of scoring own goals as they're doing right now. Now, speaking of Iowa, we have a lot of drama going on in the Hawkeye state right now with polls in that state showing a very, very tight four-way race between Sanders, Warren, former Vice President Joe Biden and former Mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg. All four of those candidates are now within the margin of error in the latest polls in that state. The latest Des Moines Register and CNN poll shows that Bernie Sanders leads with 20%, followed by Warren at 17, Buttigieg at 16, and Biden at 15, all within the margin of error, which I think in this poll is 4.9%. So what this represents is Bernie Sanders jumping up five points since the November poll, and Buttigieg, who led last time, dropping nine points in this poll. And this is something that was discussed at the tail end of last year, how volatile the race in Iowa would be. Remember, back in November, Pete Buttigieg had a very substantial lead in the state of Iowa, and many people were arguing that he may have peaked a bit too early because that would not be very sustainable. And look at how the race has changed. Bernie Sanders was always coasting in the state of Iowa, and in quite a few of these polls and national polls, Bernie has been coasting in second place most of the time, third place sometimes, but now he's really, really making a resurgence and gaining some momentum. And it's only the first time, by the way, that Sanders has led in that Des Moines Register poll, and this is the poll that's considered to be the gold standard by most in the media. And so he has been consistently in the top four candidates for many, many months, but now it's crunch time and he is making moves big time. And this is very exciting. I don't know if you can tell by my voice, but this is very exciting. It's the official opening salvo of Democratic primary, the Iowa caucuses, when they take place on the 3rd of February. 
this isn't just any old primary, it's a caucus, it's a gathering, it's where people come together, they hear arguments, and then they vote. And in terms of the Democratic primary, Iowa has voted for seven out of the last ten nominees. So Iowa is a very, very good indicator, in a Democratic primary at least, of who the eventual nominee will be. But of course, only two of those, Jimmy Carter in 1976 and Barack Obama in 2008, only those two have gone on to become president. But in terms of the Democratic primary, it's a very, very good indicator as to who will be the nominee in November. And like I said, this is not any old primary. It is a caucus. People get together at their local venue. Representatives from each campaign will be giving speeches on the night about why it is that their candidate is the best to be the Democratic nominee. And it will be up for people to literally to move around the room and stand in line behind the candidate that they think is the most viable. And in most contests, candidates will need to achieve 15% support from each caucus site to be viable. You're going to hear this 15% number a lot as we head closer to the caucuses. It's 15% to be viable, not just statewide, but it's 15% in each individual caucus site to be viable. Although that threshold can range anywhere between 18 to 50%, depending on the venue and how big it is. But 15% is the threshold that each candidate will have to reach in each caucus site. And if a candidate does not reach that threshold, that candidate is simply not viable. And caucus goers will have to move, literally physically move, from supporting that candidate and go and join the team of another candidate. It's that simple. And a new rule for this cycle could have very, very big implications because now... Essentially, the Iowa caucuses are going to become a practical, real-life version of the alternative vote system that you and I are used to here in the UK. This time around, let's say if I'm supporting the former Vice President Joe Biden, and in the first round I back him, but in the second round I'm like, actually, Pete Buttigieg is a bit younger, he's got some military experience, and I think he's got a fresh vision for the country, I might go and support him instead. I would not be able to do that because... The former vice president already has hit viability, and this time around, I wouldn't be able to move and change my vote. Whereas if I'm supporting someone like an Amy Klobuchar, I would be able to if she doesn't hit the 15% threshold. So it's only caucus goers whose candidate is not viable in the first round that will now be able to switch. Every other caucus goer must stick with their original candidate. And so what this means is that second preferences are going to be absolutely crucial Whoever has a very strong ground game, whoever has got the attention of voters in Iowa, will be able to really, really have a decisive impact on the race. Right now in the field, Buttigieg is one of the top candidates in terms of second preferences. He has got around 60% of caucus goers saying that he is someone that they're considering for their first or second choice. So being able to cover all of the bases is really, really important. And of course, for candidates like Amy Klobuchar, who's at 6%, or Andrew Yang at 5%, they may not hit viability in the first round. So where those votes go could be crucial. This is why it's like AV, because votes get redistributed. So if you're an Amy Klobuchar supporter, and if she doesn't hit 15%, where are you going to go who are you going to support? Are you going to support a moderate candidate? If you support someone like a Joe Biden, who's currently on uh, 15% in the latest poll, that 6% could put him over the top. If you're an Andrew Yang supporter, you might want to go and support Bernie. That 5% could cement his position at the top and first place and get him over the winning line. So this is why Iowa caucus is going to be so fascinating because 
It's not just about who your top choice is, but your second choice as well, especially if you're a supporter of a lower polling candidate. Where will that moderate vote go for Klobuchar? Will it go to all will it all go to Biden? Or will some of it go to young, fresh new energy of Buttigieg? Will Andrew Yang's support, his sort of entrepreneurial, um, youth-led social media supporters, will they go to Bernie? And of course, winning the state of Iowa or performing well in the state of Iowa will mean more momentum gained. And more momentum means more money. And if you have more money, you're heading into Super Tuesday, you're heading into California, you're heading into Texas in a very, very strong position, as well as the contests that are following immediately after Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada and South Carolina as well. So it is all to play for in the final few weeks of this campaign. The Iowa caucuses will be crucial in terms of setting up the stage for the following contest. If Joe Biden pulls out a win in the state of Iowa, then essentially this race is over, will be done and dusted. You will not hear another peep out of me vis-a-vis the 2020 election until we get to the convention because it will be a done deal. He wins Iowa. He might not win New Hampshire, but he'll definitely win South Carolina. African-American voters on lockdown. And once we get to Super Tuesday, that's pretty much it. Whereas if Bernie Sanders pulls out a win, that will be big trouble for the Warren campaign because he will have even more momentum now heading into New Hampshire because, of course, he's a neighbouring senator. He's from Vermont. New Hampshire is a neighbouring state. That will be very, very decisive for him. So it's going to be fascinating. And we will have to wait and see how the race pans out. But you can be sure that I will be covering this race every step of the way. And it's going to be very, very fascinating to watch going forward. Well, that was a lot to cover today. That will do it for us on this episode of Nonstop Politics. I'm Darsh Leslie. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Nonstop Politics and never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts. And we're also available on Spotify as well. But until then, I will talk to you next time. Bye bye.